0: Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today is a relaxed episode. I'm going to be talking to you about a few things going on in my life, like my current social media detox and how I think social media impacts people who identify with BPD, how to cleanse your social media feed. We are going to take some listener voicemails all about talking to your family about BPD, how to navigate the honeymoon phase of relationships. We'll then dive into a concept called limerence, which if you've ever heard of the BPD and FP concept, it's a very similar. We are just going to be hanging out together today. It's going to be like chilling with a friend who knows what you've been going through. You're going to hear voicemails from so many people going through the same thing. And kick back and hear where I'm at in my recovery journey and the ups and downs. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, listen to the end of the episode. So without further ado, let's just dive straight into it. Hello everyone, welcome to Back From The Borderline, the podcast that helps anyone who identifies with the symptoms of BPD overcome their biggest obstacle, themselves. I'm your host Molly and I believe that anyone, even you, yes you, can come back from the borderline. So we are here having a chill episode today a few weeks ago on instagram i put up a story that said that the first 10 premium subscribers that follow me on instagram that sent me a dm i would have a one-to-one zoom call with them for about 20 minutes and so i booked those with the first 10 people And I've had a few of those calls so far now, and I have a few more to go, but it has been the most amazing experience to speak to some of you listeners directly and hear what you like and what's inspired you most, how you found the podcast. It's given me so much to think about those conversations, and I'm sharing with you very openly today. Today is gonna be a very relaxed episode where I share where I'm at in my journey now. I'm gonna we're gonna talk about a few articles that I've come across that really got me thinking this week about mental health and BPD in general. And we're gonna listen to some listener questions. We're just gonna hang out together. And the reason why I'm doing the episode like this is after my conversations with these premium subscribers, I asked them, what episodes do you like the most? And the most common answer I got was, Molly, we just love the episodes where you're just relaxed and sharing what's going on in your life at the moment and even parts of your spiritual journey. For my premium subscribers, I actually got a more critical review on Apple Podcasts. A couple of months back, saying that this person was really uncomfortable with me sharing my spiritual journey on the podcast. And it impacted me more than I would like to admit. And I shared this with my premium subscribers. And so I really backed off like the spiritual aspect. And so many of my premium subscribers that I've spoken to in these calls have said, You completely stopped with the spiritual stuff. And we loved that. And we love just hearing. What's going on in your life? And I really needed to hear that. And I just thank you. And I know that if I spoke to more of you and had the ability to do that, that you might share the same thing with me. So I'm just going to start being more true to me. And the truth is, is that spirituality and finding what that means to me has been hands down the most pivotal part of my recovery. It's changed my core beliefs. It's changed my values, which then makes it a lot easier to change my behaviors. And if I don't share that part of my journey with you, I'm not sharing everything. And if I'm not sharing everything, I'm not staying true to myself and in my integrity, which is why so many of you choose to follow this podcast. So if you've wondered what I'm doing with these little BPD shorties that you've been hearing, it's to solve a need. So one thing that I heard from my premium subscribers that I spoke to was each and every single one of them that I spoke to found this podcast because in a moment of darkness in their life, that they were feeling like they had no answers, they searched BPD podcast in Spotify or Apple podcasts or whatever. And they found me. People who identify with borderline personality disorder are my people. And I need to create content that answers some of these commonly asked questions about BPD so that I can find and connect with my people. And it's my hope that by answering some of these frequently asked questions about BPD in like shorter form episodes, those people can find me and then join us on these longer, more in-depth episodes where we go deep into recovery. Because the fact of the matter is when we're in our darkest moments, think about it. What are you putting into Google? You're putting in like, can BPD be cured? What's a quiz that I can take that will tell me if I have BPD? How is BPD diagnosed? How to love someone with BPD? These are the questions that we're typing in to Google in our darkest moments. And I want to create small bite-sized pieces of content to help give my perspective on the answers to those questions so that then those people can still continue to find me. But I no longer want to make long, in-depth episodes on those basic BPD questions, because once you start listening to my content, what do you discover? You discover that I really take issue with the medical model of psychiatry. I don't believe that diagnosing anyone with a mental disorder is the way forward. I believe that in 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're going to look back on this time where the DSM was just exploding. Every time a new edition of the DSM is released, there's more and more disorders. There's more and more people are being medicated for mental health. And if you listen to me, you know that I'm definitely not in any way against medication. We can't be splitting on medication. We can't be splitting on anything, but it's over-prescribing, over-diagnosing, over-pathologizing human suffering and the human experience without having a trauma-informed perspective of what happened to this person. Do their symptoms make sense based upon how they were raised and things that happened to them in their life? How can we look at people more individually, holistically as a human being through a trauma-informed lens? This is what almost three years of doing nothing with my life other than reading books about psychology and in diving into the thoughts and theories of people who are in what's called the critical psychiatry movement, people who want to see change in the field of psychiatry. I no longer take what psychiatrists or psychologists say as the gospel truth. Before, when I went into a psychiatrist's office for help, when I was at my lowest point and I was dead set on getting a BPD diagnosis because I somehow thought that that would change or fix something, I was looking at that psychiatrist like he was God or something, like he was going to finally tell me what was wrong with me. And now, and I have so much empathy for myself back then because I didn't know any better. And I have so much empathy for any of my listeners who have been through that too because the fact of the matter is is that we know very little about the human personality and human emotion and nothing much has been scientifically proven there it's still a relatively wild west field that people are just guessing and so the best way is to inform yourself a lot (laughs) know yourself very well and get second, third, and fourth opinions if you can, and find someone who works in the space of mental health that feels intuitively right for you. And I don't know what that is for you, but I can share with you what it is for me. Anyone who I would work with as a mental health practitioner at this point, I would want to ask them questions. I would want to know if they believed that a human being's personality can be permanently disordered. If they told me something like BPD was incurable, which I have heard from psychiatrists that I've been to, that's not someone that I would want to strike up a long-term relationship with. I would want to have a mental health practitioner who, if they recommended medications to me, I would want them to be honest and upfront with me about withdrawal symptoms, about side effects, about why they're giving it to me, if I would need to be on it for life or what the plan is. If they wanted to give me a diagnosis, for example, of a disorder, I would seek two or three other opinions if I could. Because when I went to various different psychiatrists, I found that each and every one of them gave me a different disorder. I was diagnosed with something different based upon each person that I found myself in front of. So now I just trust myself more. I don't consider a psychologist or a psychiatrist a god like I used to, someone that knows so much more than me. I consider them to be someone in a field that has a lot of growing to do and I consider them to be a flawed human being just like anyone else and I would ask them a lot of questions to make sure that they were someone that I felt like I wanted to trust with my mental state. And I know that many people aren't privileged enough to get a second, third, and fourth opinion. So my heart goes out to those people as well, because we have a long way to go in terms of remedying our broken mental health system in the Western world. I can only speak for that because that's where I live. I've only received mental health care in the United Kingdom and the United States, so I can only speak to that, but we have a long way to go. So that being said, you will see me doing these BPD shorties because I don't want to do long episodes anymore about what does it mean to have BPD? What are the symptoms of BPD? Because I feel like for long-term listeners of the podcast, we've grown past that point. I've grown past that point. I identify with BPD symptoms. There's a reason why in my Instagram bio, I changed it to BPD label survivor because I don't believe in labeling people's personalities as disordered. And I don't consider myself someone with BPD But what I do consider myself as someone who heavily identifies with the symptoms of BPD, people that have been diagnosed with BPD are my people. I feel them. I know these symptoms. I know what it feels like. And I also have made massive progress in the last three years of beating these symptoms. And I still experience them, but they no longer control my life. And... That's what I'm here to share with each and every one of you. That's the hope I want to instill in every one of you. I want you to know that you are capable of love and deserve love and that you can stop hating yourself. You can understand what it means to feel a solid sense of identity. You can stop being completely destroyed by your thoughts. There is a way through this and I'm here with you always every step of the way. And so I'm going to be releasing these little short episodes and it's going to be answering common questions in a short form way and in hopes that I can find my people and each and every one of you are my people. But then in episodes like this, every Tuesday, we're going to be diving deeper. We're going to be getting more spiritual and philosophical with it which is like where my heart is really at. But I need to continue creating those shorter form episodes so that I can find the people that really need my message. And also, there's nothing wrong with little refreshers, right? So I realize that I go deep into masterclass level recovery stuff on these episodes, but there's nothing wrong with going back to basics. So if you see BPD shorties popping up throughout the week, You will understand why, why I'm releasing those is because it's important that we answer these commonly asked questions so that people struggling can find the podcast and I can help them. So another thing that happened this week in the life of Molly was I took a step back from Instagram. I realized just how Instagram really is not conducive to my life. (laughs) And I know that many of you can relate to this because I put a post up on Instagram, which is at back from the borderline, as many of you know, because I think quite a few of you follow me on there already. And I put up a post where I just said that I'm like stepping out of the social media matrix for a bit and wow, that post got so many comments and I got emails from some of you saying how much that resonated with you. I just feel like, especially with TikTok and Reels and specifically these like trending sounds where people are just lip syncing to things. It's just like very mindless. And I found myself getting into this like competition game with myself, not even with anyone else. It's like I was, as I was starting to do these Reels, like Reels videos with viral sounds, I was seeing my engagement explode. It was going up. My follower count was going up. But then at the same time, what I realized is that it made me feel like I had to keep doing more and more and more so that I could keep those numbers going up. And I just thought, what in the hell am I doing? Like, this is out of alignment for me. This is not within my integrity. It didn't feel good. And if you're out there and it makes you feel good, that's totally fine. I'm definitely not here to judge, but it didn't feel good for me. I realize I love making my podcast. Whenever I sit here talking to each and every one of you on this microphone, I feel good. It feels right, but it doesn't feel right. Doing those reels, it almost makes me feel like with the viral sound, with the filter on my face, it's just like layers removing the true authentic me. When I sit down in front of this microphone, it just feels like I'm being as open and vulnerable and true to myself as I can be. And that's the kind of role model I want to be for my followers and listeners. So even if that means that my follower count doesn't go up on Instagram, who really fucking cares? (laughs) Really though, no one does. It's just this weird hamster wheel vibe that I mentioned before. And ever since I went off of it. I think it's almost been a week now. And I deleted the app off my phone too. It feels so good. I feel great. I feel so much better. I feel like I'm present in my life more. And because of that, I have more to share with each and every one of you on this podcast. And it's feeling good right now. I'm definitely not going off Instagram forever, but it feels nice to take a break. And when I come back to Instagram, I want to Envision a way that I can do that and still feel good. Another thing that happened this last week was my grandmother passed away, and my grandma was just the sweetest soul. This is my dad's mom. Her name was Bonnie, and she had dementia. She was in her 90s, so she had a really long life, and she passed away in hospice surrounded by my dad and his siblings. But I wasn't able to see my grandma before she passed away. And I'm actually going back home in two weeks. And it was that feeling where it's like, I just missed her. And I haven't been home since before the pandemic. And it was really hard on me this week to realize, you know, I'll never see her again. And it also just put things in perspective Seeing this video that my dad sent me of my grandma, seeing my aunt, my aunt from, that lives in New Zealand now, she was able to make it just in time to see my grandma. And there was a video, my grandma has dementia and she recognized my aunt and she hasn't recognized anyone for a long time. And that video was so beautiful to me. It had just put everything in perspective where I was just like, God, none of this shit that I worry about really matters. The numbers, the Instagram, all this stuff. it Stuff like that happening in your life really puts things in perspective for me. And so I'm just saying a word of love out there for my grandma. And I know that if she heard this podcast, she would love it. And I encourage you to think about what really matters this week. If you are on that social media matrix, just feeling like a like you're sucked in and it's not making you feel great, focus on the stuff that really matters in this life. I'm listening to a podcast right now that my friend Sterling sent me. It's called The Blind Boy Podcast. He's this Irish guy. It is such a good podcast. Highly recommend, highly, highly. And he's talking to this cyber psychologist, I think, which is a really interesting podcast title, but essentially she studies the effect of social media and, you know, the internet on our psychology and the way that we work in human emotion. And she was saying how social media addiction isn't real. It's not a thing. It's actually just like a moral
1: panic issue. And by moral panic, what she described was, you know, back in the 1950s, Parents thought that Elvis's music would just like turn all of the kids into little demons. And there was, (laughs) and like, they thought that at the beginning of radio, when radio was invented and all the youth were listening to radio, they thought that radio and music would, would rot kids' brains, right? So all throughout history, there's always been something that the older generation thinks like, oh, this is going to rot the young, this is, this is it, this type, this new technology is going to be the thing that ruins it all. And this cyber psychologist was saying, it's not that social media is addictive. It's not a thing. It's not real. We're just kind of making it into that. But what she gave was a more balanced approach, which I like. And I think it's really good for those of us who identify with BPD because it's about not splitting on things, right? We're not splitting on social media saying it's all bad. But she said, when you're scrolling, how does it make you feel? So for example, she goes, if I wake up and I'm not feeling good and I'm not feeling great emotionally, I will not go on social media because I know that I'm not in an emotional state to handle that. But if I'm feeling good, I'll scroll. And she said, it's also usually a good thing if you are engaging, like commenting on friends pictures and maybe you're following a few, for me, it's like psychology accounts and you're going, wow, I learned something and commenting. If you're engaging or even animal videos, she said, you know, they can make us happy. We like them. They make us smile. So she said, monitor how you're feeling on social media. If you're engaging and it's filling you up and after you're done, you feel, oh, I feel good. That made me happy. But she said, tune in a lot if it's not making you feel good. If you're doom scrolling, as they call it, like you're just mindlessly swiping and scrolling and afterwards you feel like I sometimes do where it's like you feel like a dead zombie, and you feel this sense of like emptiness, man, doom scrolling can give me the big BPD empty. Doom scrolling on Twitter, Google News, Instagram, it can make you feel that that sense of hyper arousal, hyper vigilance, big empty, really like existential anxiety. Then you need to put it away. You need to tune into yourself. Another thing that's really helped me is not checking my phone for... The first hour of the day starting my day off in a really slow and mindful way not getting straight on social media that's the worst thing you can do for your day now i wake up i go downstairs i feed cody and lola my cat and my dog and i enjoy my cup of coffee i read a little bit of my book and i don't get those scary morning scaries anymore so i encourage you to think about this i hope me sharing that is helpful for you Let's not split on social media. It's not all good. It's not all bad, but it's the way that we use it, right? It's the things that we follow. Do you need to do a purge? Delete people that trigger you. Don't follow celebrities if they make you feel like shit. There are some celebrities that I follow that I think are hilarious and have a really like warm and inviting social media presence. But if you follow celebrities that just flaunt their luxurious lifestyle and make it look like they have this perfect existence, perfect way that they look, perfect appearance. Get that shit out of your timeline. Cleanse your social media feed and fill it with things that make you smile, laugh, feel good about
0: yourself and educate you. Take the power back. The last random little mini housekeeping items I wanted to talk about is that you might have noticed that the podcast artwork changed. I want to give a shout out to... Nellie. She is an incredible artist based in the Netherlands and a listener of the podcast. She made this gorgeous artwork of a wildflower growing through some like chain link fence. One of my favorite songs is by Dolly Parton and it's called Wildflowers. Highly recommend that you listen to it. But I love wildflowers because they can grow anywhere even in the most unlikely places and i feel like that's like each and every one of us and so i really hope that you like the new artwork i've gone through a few different artworks in the last few months but i think i'm i'm settled on one now but i wanted to just share with you the reasoning behind that artwork it's very special to me and it's so extra special to me because Nellie, a listener of the podcast, drew it herself and then Zaz helped with the design as well. So it's a work of love and I just very much appreciate it. What I want to do next is play some listener voicemails. I'm aware that my website was down the last few days, so if you tried to send me a voicemail and weren't able to, that's why. But backfromtheborderline.com is back up and running with my new branding, and you can now send me a voicemail by going to backfromtheborderline.com and clicking the little icon with the microphone on the webpage. And when you click that, it pops up and it says, hi, leave a voicemail. So you can do that. So go ahead and use that. And I want to hear from you. So please send me a voicemail. So let's start out with the first listener voicemail of this week.
2: Hey, Molly, this is Francis in Highest old Maryland. I'm 44 years old. And I just wanted to thank you for your podcast. I blew through the minute and a half limit on my past one. So I'm going to have to just send a bunch more later. But um, you listening to you has been more beneficial to me than going to a therapist in. Um, understanding what my wife is going through with what her symptoms of BPD. Uh, I didn't know what was going on in the beginning of our relationship, and she didn't really know either. She thought she had bipolar disorder based on like a psychology today online test that she took, but then that sent me down my path to doing research, and I found that she was much more consistent with the symptoms of BPD. And then learning that and then finding your podcast, really helped. And, um, I was on that first AMA that you did on Patreon and, um, and like the stuff that you have shared about your, your recovery and your relationship with Zaz has been so helpful to me, like more helpful than, than therapy, way more helpful than therapy. So I just wanted to thank you. And I could talk to you for like an hour about all other kinds of things, uh, that the podcast has, uh, has helped me with. And, um, but I'll save that for later, but thank you, Molly. Bye.
0: Thank you, Francis. Okay. So Francis has been following me since the very beginning. And I remember because I remember Francis, your comments on my YouTube videos of the podcast from the very beginning. So talk about an OG follower. And then you were a supporter on Patreon when I was doing that and you were on my first AMA that I did. I stopped doing those because I offered them, but then I realized everybody lives in different time zones and no one was able to make them really. So when I did them, only like two people showed up, but this was also a year ago. So the podcast has grown quite a bit since then. But Frances, thank you for this voicemail. I am so happy to hear from the partner and a loved one of someone who identifies with BPD. This podcast is just as much for you as it is for those who identify with symptoms of BPD because I want to do anything I can to help people that love each other better understand each other. I have heard quite a bit that my podcast has been, quote, more helpful than therapy for people, and I heard that often on these subscriber calls that I had this week, and I think therapy is incredibly helpful depending on the therapist you go to, right? Just with anything else. But why I think so many people tell me this is because it's so validating to hear from someone who just gets it and who understands and who has been there. And sometimes with therapists, we can't get that because they haven't been there most of the time. You will find a therapist who's been in your shoes, but when you are going through navigating the symptoms of BPD in a relationship, whether you be the loved one or whether you be the person who's going through it, the most validating, healing, and helpful thing, in my opinion, is to hear from people who've been there. Because people who haven't been there, they can try to get it, but they just can't. They can give you skills and ways to cope. But I feel like another piece of the puzzle of healing is hearing from people who have been there. And it brings me so much joy and happiness to know that my podcast can be that for you, Francis. And it's my hope that it can be that for others as well. The next voicemail is from Jess.
4: Hi, Molly. My name is Jessica. I'm 36 years old from Florida. Um, I love your podcast. I just found it this year. Never formally diagnosed with BPD, but identify with a lot of the symptoms, but also love how you uh, talk about being spiritually starved versus having a mental disorder. I've really started um, coming to believe that myself this year after my first uh, inpatient hospitalization. Anyway, I just wanted to say I listened to your menstrual awareness episode and I really, really loved it. Um, I shared it with my 16-year-old daughter who has um, always had irregular cycles and were, um, I'm hoping to get into seed cycling and helping her get started. But I just really appreciate that you took the time to gather up all of that information and share it in one episode. Um, thank you so much for everything you do.
0: I love this voicemail, Jess. Thank you so much for calling in to share this. The menstrual cycle awareness episode was one of my favorite ones to put together. I learned so much along the way. I will admit to you that I have not stuck with seed cycling. I just felt like it didn't make enough of a difference for me to be as religious about it. So I'm always going to be open with all y'all. So if you listen to the menstrual cycle awareness episode and you heard that I was going to go start trying seed cycling. It's a way of balancing your hormones by eating certain seeds every day. And I abandoned that. It I didn't find that it made a difference. I was really religiously dedicated to it for about three, four months, and it just wasn't making enough of a difference for me to stick with it. But what has been helpful, incredibly helpful, is being aware of the different phases of my menstrual cycle And tuning into that awareness has allowed me to be more mindful of when I'm more emotionally aroused, more prone to emotion dysregulation, so that then I can plan my life accordingly. And I think anyone who has a menstrual cycle should be doing this. I think that you should be tuning into the seasons of your body and if you are close to your period like if you can maybe don't plan a bunch of social engagements or whatever plan your life according to the ways that we shift throughout the month and that's another thing too we always have to be mindful that we are beings that are going through cycles and changes it's a natural thing and tuning into that, being more mindful about it is a really good thing to do. So if you haven't already listened to my menstrual cycle awareness episode, I highly recommend going back and doing that. It's very, very illuminating. And even if you are the partner of someone who has crazy (laughs) um, emotional outbursts around their period, then That episode is really good for you to listen to, too. I don't think enough people in the world are aware of periods and what that means for our hormones and the ways they shift. So educate yourself. In that episode, it's got all the information you need.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: All right, our next question is from Alex.
5: Hey Molly, my name's Alex. I'm 37 years old and I live in New Zealand. I have BPD, I'm undiagnosed. But thank God for the internet because I've been wondering what on earth is wrong with me my whole life. I have terrible anxiety, which comes and goes. Um, I'm at a bit of a funny stage in my life where I have left my job of five years um, and just got out of another abusive relationship. Um, I have estranged myself from my mum and dad because I just don't know how to explain to them how I feel. Um, just come from the typical uh, we don't talk about feelings life, a um, family, and um, I'm going to use bits of your podcast to explain to them what's really going on in my head. I'm scared because I don't know how they will react, but I think they're at a stage now where they um, will listen because I guess they miss me, and I just feel like a complete shithead all of the time. Uh, it's hard admitting that you're toxic, but... I Thank you
0: so much, Molly. Oh, Alex, my heart goes out to you so much. I feel like so many of us can relate to where Alex is at right now. How she left that voicemail saying, it's hard admitting that you're toxic. And I don't want to give advice. And I hope you all know that I'm not a qualified mental health professional. So any advice that I give is just like advice that I would give to a friend As someone who's been there and understands where you're at. And the first thing that I take away from this voicemail, Alex, is how hard you're being on yourself. You're saying that you're toxic and that you've been wondering what on earth is wrong with you your entire life and that you feel like a total shithead. And I'm just pointing that out, you know, so many of us who identify with BPD are so incredibly hard on ourselves. And I encourage you to really lean into some radical self-compassion because healing can only really take place once we start giving ourselves permission to be human. And I just want to give you the biggest virtual hug because you're not a shithead, you're not toxic. But what I have said in the podcast before, I've had those I'm the problem moments and I try to also while at the same time realizing that I'm the common denominator and all the chaos in my life I try to admit that while also staying compassionate to myself and I want to encourage each and every one of you to do that as well as you Alex because no one is inherently just toxic you're not a toxic person maybe there are some behaviors in your life patterns that you keep repeating that keep you stuck but now that you're becoming aware of those you can change and you have it within you to change and you mentioned that you just left your job of five years and you're just come out of another abusive relationship there is so much stress that comes with leaving things that are secure the most dysregulated I've ever been in my life is when I'm in those moments of transition in my life, leaving a relationship or being dumped or changing jobs. So yet again, that's another time to be really compassionate with yourself because moments of change are scary. And so I'm sending you so much love. And you also said that you've been estranged from your family, but that you are now wanting to reconnect with them and maybe Talk to them about how you're feeling, and with anyone who is going to talk to their family. And I've been asked this question so often: of when do I tell people about my BPD? And you mentioned that you're not formally diagnosed, but you said I have BPD, (laughs) but I'm not diagnosed, and so technically you don't really have BPD, right? And if you follow my podcast. I don't think anyone has BPD because saying I have it is like saying you have this, a disease within you and a disordered personality. And I just don't believe that's the case, but maybe what you do do is you identify with some of the symptoms of BPD. And when approaching our family, I think that sometimes the best thing to do is just talk about the feelings that you feel. You don't necessarily have to go to your family and say, "Hi everyone, I have borderline personality disorder." You can say, "I struggle with these feelings, with feelings of emptiness, with, you know, low self-worth, and I'm working on it." But I also encourage anyone that's going to speak to family or trying to reconcile, I always say like, "What's your desired outcome?" Because I think a lot of us get stuck in this magical thinking where we're going to go have this Hallmark card conversation with our family where we tell them all of our feelings and everything we're going through and that they All of a sudden become different than they've been our entire lives and then they step up and are like super emotionally supportive (laughs) And a lot of times bpd symptomology is developed because of a dysfunctional family system Dysfunctional family systems can still be loving. We can still love our family. Nobody's family is perfect but It takes really emotionally mature parents and caregivers to face that some of their actions have probably led to their child developing some of these really tough coping mechanisms and defense patterns and self-sabotaging behaviors that have led their lives to be chaos. And it's very unlikely that you're going to get what you want. And I'm speaking about the general you, not necessarily just Alex, right? It's very unlikely that we're going to have our parents say Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I admit everything I did and then become all of a sudden these emotionally supportive caregivers that we always needed. Something that I realized within myself is that I have to be my own supportive parent now. And there's not a lot that my parents can give me at this point in my life as an adult that's going to fill that hole. I have to fill that hole. My parents aren't going to be able to give me any kind of closure or self-assurance. And no matter what, I'm still going to have myself to look at in the mirror. And I am the only one that's going to be able to change me. And no amount of conversations with my family is going to change that. I have had a couple of what I think are pretty good conversations with my family. Um couple of them have been blow-ups. The most recent one that I had was pretty good. But what I realized was even when my parents admitted some of their their faults, which everyone's parents have faults, I realized that like, wow, that didn't fix as much as I thought it would. I still had all these feelings. I still had all these symptoms. And I think I went into a lot of these conversations thinking that it would magically change something. And it doesn't. And so I feel like this ties into how we get hell bent on wanting a BPD diagnosis, someone to tell us, a psychiatrist to to formally diagnose us. Then we get that diagnosis and we're like, wait, shit, I still feel this way. Or we think my life is a mess. I want to move. This town is killing me. I need to move towns. And when I move towns, everything's going to be better. And then you move and you're like, oh, fuck, nothing's changed. Or in this instance, okay, I'm going to talk to my family, I'm going to tell them that I have BPD, and then I'm going to tell them all the ways that they've impacted me, and then I'll get that off my chest and it will be closure, and then everything will be better or somehow something will change. And then you still feel the same. It's because no matter where you go, there you are. That saying is so true. No matter where you go, there you are. No matter who you talk to, there you are, no matter what. It's going to be you, you against you. It's you against you for the rest of your life, no matter what. Nothing that anyone else says, admits, or does is really going to change much. It's all going to come from you becoming your own caring and loving parent. So, I want to send you so much love out there, Alex. I'm wishing you all the best in this conversation with your family, but I encourage you to wrap yourself in some radical self-compassion. Get the book Radical Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. highly recommend it. That was a really big game changer for me. And start to realize how you can become your own caring and loving parent. So I'm sending you lots and lots of love, Alex. Our next voicemails, and yes, they're plural, are from a premium subscriber of mine named Bry. and typically I will only play one voicemail from a listener, and you can send me as many voicemails as you want, by the way, and I love that Bry just shoots me his thoughts when he has them, because I'll play the voicemail occasionally on the podcast, But what I noticed is Bri sent me a few different voicemails and now that I've listened to them, I was like, this is so relatable and I won't typically play multiple voicemails from one subscriber, but because these voicemails were so relatable and they almost were like a time frame I had to share them on the podcast because I just have this gut feeling that so many of us can relate to Bry and what he's going through. And it's like a timeline. The first voicemail that he sent me is him kind of questioning himself in this new relationship that's moving really, really fast. And then he sent another voicemail later on after the relationship clearly dissolved. And then he sends another voicemail really questioning sexuality and I just think there is so much good in here that so many of you can relate to so as I mentioned I won't typically do this of playing multiple voicemails from the same person but because this is such a good insight into how so many of us who identify with BPD symptomology what we go through and the kind of things that we're thinking about I wanted to share this. So let's hear the first voicemail from Bri when he's kind of grappling with a new relationship that he's dived into really quickly.
3: Hello, Molly. My name is Bri. I am 32, living in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I wanted to say that I love the show and that um, I'm in the first year of my recovery. Uh, I rush into relationships. I, I identified with your boundary episode talking about the relationship specifically, I thought I could work on things parallel to the current relationship I'm in, that I've known the person for three months, been in a relationship with them for two of those. He was super sweet, really kind. I felt like he could read my mind almost. Um, j- he just did all the things right. And it's gotten to a point where there's like a weighty, ominous cloud that it feels like between us. And I've kind of started to feel like I've started to mourn the guy that I met as opposed to, I, I still really much care for the guy that I'm with now. But what do you think? Um, what are your thoughts?
0: So now let's listen to the second voicemail that Bri left me after the relationship came to an end.
3: Hi, Molly. My name is Bri. This is a little question about disclosure. Um, I'm wondering, I just got a relationship like three days ago. It was very short. It was three months in total, and um, it was short, fast, intense, good, or amazing, and then super bad, as I'm sure many can relate to. BPD symptoms pretty much were a cause in the relationship ending. Now I thought that I could balance myself in parallel while working on things. But there are a lot of boundaries that weren't discussed, that he wasn't, he wasn't very emotionally intelligent himself. I was doing a lot of the heavy lifting I felt as far as how things went as far as communicating. And I'm wondering, should I just tell people now that I identify with these symptoms beforehand?
0: So, at this point, I'm sure you can understand why I chose to play both of these voicemails. Thank you, Bry, for submitting them too. I'm, again, like I have many times in the past, like pressing the hard relate button. I understand so much this entire process sometimes it's referred to as like the BPD relationship cycle but y'all know that I just can't stand everything being about BPD it's just the way it goes it's trauma bonding it is a little bit of limerence but let's like unpack this and I'm gonna talk more at length about both of those things it's almost like this first voicemail is coming out of the idealization phase or like a honeymoon phase and then the second voicemail is just the aftermath and something that I heard you know in this first voicemail too you're in your first year of recovery and that you are acknowledging that you rush into relationships And I think that's a really good thing to know about yourself. That is the same as me. I rush in so fast, or I did previously. I've been with the same person now for over three years, but I have a tendency to idealize the shit out of people. I'm imagining our future children on like the second date. I am oversharing so much, and I'm so invested and clinging on to all the version of them that I want to see that I actually don't take the time to see who they truly are. And I think a lot of us do that. It's a very, very common thing to do. You mentioned at the beginning, he was super sweet and something that like stuck out to me, as you said, I felt like he could read my mind and he did all the right things the thing is is that when we're in this idealization phase at the beginning of these really rushed relationships, we create this version of the person that we want them to be, and a lot of times for me when I was doing these things, it's like I'm so excited and imagining the future and I'm I'm it's stopping me from being in the moment and like actually seeing this person for who they are. Because in the second voicemail, you said you felt like you were doing a lot of the heavy lifting as far as communication and that he wasn't very emotionally intelligent himself. This happened to me where I always had these like really passionate relationships that blew up. And a lot of times it came from me rushing into sexual intimacy really fast too, because then it like, when you have sex with someone, It gives you these like, floods you with chemicals, floods you with serotonin. It makes you feel artificially close to someone and sex can be great, but if you do it really soon in a relationship when you're someone who has a tendency like we do to like get really close to someone and idealize them. It's just like I talked about with social media. If you feel like you can handle it, great. But we have to know ourselves and if we know that we get attached really soon, sometimes that means that you need to conduct yourself differently. I am by no means like a conservative person. I think everyone should have sex whenever they want, with whoever they want, do you. But I've learned about myself that the best thing I can do is to choose not to be intimate with someone for a long period and by long I mean however long it takes but for example I'm fine with sharing that Saz and I were together for a few months before we decided to be intimate with one another and that was the first time I ever did that in my life really like I would just go very much with the flow if I felt like there was an amazing connection on the first date. Yeah. Sometimes I was intimate with someone. I would like get caught up in it and a a guy could tell me all the right things, say all the right things. I felt like he could read my mind, all of these things. Right. And I would do it. And then afterwards, often I would feel really vulnerable and really like, when you sleep with someone too soon that you actually don't know them very well and you haven't had deep conversations about boundaries and what things mean and who know who they are as a person, when I would sleep with them too soon, I'd feel very vulnerable and like very scared that the relationship would end. And I found that if I didn't sleep with someone and things kind of fell apart after a few dates, I was fine. But if I had slept with them, I was like full of this shame and the abandonment would be so much worse. And so I encourage any of you who identify with Bri and and Bri, you as well, to consider maybe pumping the brakes on intimacy in your next encounter with someone. Maybe just see if you can hold off and really get to know who they are. Before you rush into things, because I really think that sex just jumbles it up for people who have big feelings like us We really need to see if we like the person that they are, the real person that they are, judge them based upon their real actions, talk to them about their life and see how the way they treat people and ask them about their values. And obviously you don't have to be like a detective. You need to hang out with them. Multiple times to see. And also, these relationships, you said that you'd known this person for three months and you had been in a relationship for two out of the, those three months, jumping into a relationship really soon and just like locking things down really fast. There is something to be said with, you know, going out on a date with someone, waiting to see them for a week, then seeing them again, building these things over time talking on the phone, seeing if this is someone you actually want to be with. Because what I heard you say, so he's pretty, he's not emotionally intelligent that you felt like you had to do a lot of the heavy lifting and that you guys didn't talk about boundaries beforehand. And it sounds like maybe he just wasn't all that compatible for you potentially. And you just wanted to see what you wanted to see in him. Potentially. That's just a thought that I have. I obviously don't know. I'm just making guesses based upon what you've chosen to share with me. It sounds like what you're dealing with, Bri, and I think what so many of us are dealing with in our lives is something called limerence. It's L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E. And I'm convinced that limerence is pretty much the same thing as like a romantic FP relationship, but it's been around a long time, this concept. And I want to read you a little bit about limerence because I think so many of us aren't aware of this concept. And it's one of those like mind blowing moments. I found an article about limerence and I'm going to read some of it for you. It's from a website called marriage helper. (laughs) So it's clearly aimed at married people. So just know that the article says this, there are many forms of love. If you find yourself in an affair or your spouse is in an affair, they may experience intense feelings of love like never before. This feeling is a burning, fierce passion that takes over their mind and actions. What they're experiencing might feel like love, but it's not love. It's limerence. In the social sciences, limerence is the feeling of being in love and there are various stages of limerence. It's the dewy-eyed, magical sensation when you are near this person. You feel alive in their presence and the desire to be with them. You want this so badly that it hurts and without them, your world feels empty At a certain point, you become so overwhelmed with emotions that obsession takes hold, and you find yourself addicted to everything about your affair partner. There are three critical stages to limerence, and they all coincide with the emotional, mental, and physical effects of those stages. Limerence is powerful. It affects your thoughts and actions to unrealistic and sometimes destructive levels, Depending on what stage you're in, you could completely change your views on your current relationship. Someone deep in limerence starts hyper-focusing on their limerent lover, abandoning the integrity and morals of their current stable relationship. As a single individual, limerence causes those butterflies and heart-racing love. It's alright if you're not committed to anyone or in the process of connecting with another, but still, limerence can complicate things even more when you're in an affair or outside your primary committed relationship. And I think in this first voicemail of Bry's, that's what we're realizing is that he's coming out of this limerence. He's realizing it was all so great and now it's not so great. And I don't know if any of you have been involved being unfaithful. For me, I was emotionally unfaithful in some of my relationships and actually physically cheated on partners. And I Absolutely experienced limerence, where this new person I wanted, and I would usually end the relationship with the person I was with, and then get into the relationship with the person that I was in limerence with because they came in and they could read my mind. They were love bombing me, and I'm not saying they were narcissists. I really think we're talking too much about narcissists these days. Um, but they came in, they sweep swept me off my feet. I only wanted to see the good things. There was passionate sex involved and you just get swept away and it's limerence. It's not love because true love is being there at the worst of times, knowing a person to their core and loving them anyway, being able to talk about anything together, knowing each other's boundaries. It takes time. True love, true intimacy is commitment, is being there every day. It's not sparks. It's not passion. It isn't. And a lot of us who identify with BPD get that really twisted. And if you don't understand the difference between love and limerence, you're going to find yourself really, really struggling. So the next part of this article talks about the different stages of limerence And Bri's first voicemail is so appropriate here. So let's just read what this article has to say about the first stage of limerence, which this author has called attachment and infatuation. Infatuation or attachment is the getting to know you phase where the two people start to feel unique and divulge personal things about themselves. It may begin to feel very innocent and friendly, a working relationship or a casual friend that you enjoy spending time with but the feelings get more assertive as the limerence progresses. In the attachment stage, people tend to pull away out of fear. They pull away either because they're unwilling to sacrifice their lives to be with this person, or they're married and they feel guilt for opening up their emotions to another person. Weighing the pros and cons in this first phase of the limerent relationship, the couple considers the consequences of their actions. Is this relationship worth it? What will we lose if we begin this interaction? Will someone get hurt in the process? You haven't built a strong attachment to this person yet, so you're able to think logically about the next step. The first phase is the ideal stage to remove yourself from the limerent person if you're entertaining the idea of being with them. In this first phase, there's no obsession or intention to enter an affair but the idea of spending more time with them pleases you. It may seem so silly to believe that you could fall head over heels for someone to irrational levels, but after years of research, the science is there. Some people go through these stages without falling obsessively in love, but like each other enough to begin an affair. Limerence sneaks up on you whether you attend it or not. If the person is in limerence, but the other has not yet entered that stage yet, the one in limerence becomes persuasive. They understand and know their limerent lover so well that they convince them and justify their actions. Rational thinking goes out the window. They say the right things and show the ideal affection to persuade them to stay and continue the affair. So as I mentioned, this article is aimed at couples who are navigating infidelity, but I know so many of us who identify with BPD symptoms, we get that itchy feeling in a relationship and feel like we need to go to what is more passionate and that leads a lot of us to infidelity, to maybe like sabotaging our current relationship because we feel like it's not passionate enough and then we end up going into another relationship that is exactly the same as the next one and repeat and repeat and repeat. But in Bri's case, even when we're single, like for example, and we're not cheating on our partner and we're just entering a new relationship, this same stuff happens. This last paragraph is really good in my opinion, but it just talks about how the person who is in limerence, which might be Bri in this case, might be both of them, him and his partner, they're not really getting to know each other. They are getting to know idealized versions of each other. And really, we can't know someone in just a matter of a couple of months. Another article that I found about limerence has a really good piece here. It says, at first glance, limerence doesn't sound at all different from falling in love. In fact, it doesn't sound negative at all to be wowed by someone and adore them. But it's important to recognize the distinction between seeing a person clearly so that you can develop a relationship with them, or you're unintentionally reducing their complex personhood down to a manic pixie concept shaped primarily by your hopes and dreams and what they can offer you. That's good. That's good. You're
1: unintentionally reducing their complex personhood down to a manic pixie concept shaped primarily by your hopes and dreams and what they can offer you. I find if those of us who identify with BPD often are really honest with ourselves, we are not treating the people that we're in relationships like real people. We're treating them like a means to an end. It's almost like we're objectifying them. They are our savior. They are the version. They're the perfect idealized
0: version in our mind. And then when they start Showing signs of being, oh no, a real person. Like for example, they're not always shiny and happy. They might be put off by some of our self-sabotaging behaviors. All of a sudden, it becomes them that's the problem and they're not meeting our expectations. So this quote here of unintentionally reducing their complex personhood down to a concept is really profound. And the key word there is unintentionally. We're not doing this consciously. It's not something we want to do, but we have to, as people who identify with BPD, remember that love and intimacy takes time. And if things are moving too fast, it's likely limerence and it is not love. The article goes on to say, it can feel incredibly exciting to be swept away so completely by someone, but even in its best state of high drama, limerence is akin to empty calories compared to what nourishing love can truly offer. I love this so much too. Truly, rushing into something so fast, it really is The empty calories of relationships. It's just going to sweep you away momentarily, but it is not going to nourish you for the long term. So this article says couples therapist Silva Depanian says limerence is often confused with love. She says many people don't recognize the existence of limerence and simply consider someone experiencing it to be a quote hopeless romantic or passionately in love. But limerence and love are not the same. If anything, limerence can be considered the fool's gold of love, seemingly shiny, but with no real substance. And it helps us, this article, the next part says, how can we define the difference between love and limerence? According to Boquin, limerence and love can start off similarly as a dopamine rush, which is why it can be confusing. But while limerence is short-lived and conditional, real love is fluid and unconditional. When you really love someone, you want them to be happy despite what they can give you. The initial attraction develops over time and eventually reinforces into something substantial and lasting. Love is more steady and grounding, where limerence leaves us with that feeling of being in the clouds. Love is a deep connection that people develop after knowing one another, experiencing life together, and overcoming challenges together. This is just my hot take outside the article here, but I think it's really important for us to get real and grow up as people who identify with BPD. And I'm hard on all of you just as I'm hard on myself, and I think that's why so many of you resonate with this podcast. But so many of us have such an immature version of what love is love is complicated it is showing up every single day it's seeing someone in all their faults and messiness and them seeing us and that too and it's not getting bored the moment that they don't read our minds and give us what we need and put up with all of our bullshit without us having to do anything to change too I think so many of us who identify with BPD get into this thing of expecting our partner to be our savior and do everything perfectly. And the moment they put one toe out of line or don't meet this shiny, idealized version of what we think they should
1: be, we feel like we want to move on to greener pastures. And I'm not saying other people that don't identify with the BPD don't do that too, but I think we definitely have a tendency to do that.
0: The article goes on to say... Depenian adds that limerence often comes with a tendency to ignore flaws and red flags. With limerence, you may find yourself hyper-focusing on the subject of your affection, the limerent object, and their positive characteristics to the point of ignoring existing flaws and directing your intense, irrational emotions toward the idea of what they represent for you instead of who that person actually is in reality. This paragraph was really profound for me and I relate to it a lot. So many of the people that have been the object of my affection or the limerent person, the person that I am projecting my limerence onto in my relationships, the people I've fallen in love with so fast. And always when these things end, you're like, what was I thinking half the time? And it's just like, Bry is having these thoughts and his second voicemail is saying, you know, I actually felt like I was doing all the emotionally heavy lifting. And maybe now after the dust has settled, he's realizing they weren't all that compatible. It just goes to show how these limerent feelings cloud our judgment and how we are absolutely directing our intense irrational emotions toward an idea of what this person represents instead of who they actually are. And so many of us just get wrapped up in feeling like this person is going to be our savior. There's so much passion. And I think that it gets our like dopamine addiction running, even if it's like messy and lots of arguments, but sex too. We don't like the big empty. And so these limerent feelings distract us from the big empty, but that's all it is. It's just a distraction. It is not love the article says, if you're still unsure whether you're in a limerent dynamic, consider it from this angle. Love stabilizes with partners bonding through mutual connection, interests, empathy, and shared experiences. On the other side, limerence is marked by intensity and then rapid destabilization. The projection can't pull through enough to create a relationship since it's not a sustainable model for connection. Love is rooted in connection, intimacy, mutuality, and reality, where limerence is rooted in possession, obsession, jealousy, and delusions. That, I'm like, boom, 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 ding dong, ding dong, as my friend Melanie says, that's a ding dong moment. Think about this. Is the person that you are currently infatuated with, is your feelings for them, are they rooted in connection, intimacy, mutuality, and reality? Or are they rooted in possession, obsession, jealousy, and delusions? That's a really good question that we need to ask ourselves. And so many of my relationships and situationships in the past were rooted in my own just like obsessions and delusions. I was not living in reality. I was not seeing this person for who they actually were. So that's going to be it for this week's free version of the podcast. In the next part of this episode for my premium subscribers, we are going to dive even deeper into the concept of limerence. So if this stuff about limerence has really resonated with you. You're definitely going to want to unlock this premium episode. We're going to go in depth about the difference between love and limerence, the signs of limerence, and then the stages of a limerent relationship and how we can compare that to stable long-term love. And I share really intimately about some Dark and personal stuff that has happened in my own life and what I've learned. And so sometimes I share some of those more intimate moments with my premium subscribers. So if that's something that sounds interesting for you, go ahead and open the episode description of this episode and click the link at the bottom and sign up to become a premium subscriber. But If you decide not to do that and you stop here at this free version, I thank you so much for being here with me today. I love you very much and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week.